When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 5. Mr. Julius P. Hersheimer Well, said Tuppence, recovering herself, it really seems as though it were meant to be. Carter nodded. I know what you mean. I'm superstitious myself. Luck and all that sort of thing. Fate seems to have chosen you out to be mixed up in this. Tommy indulged in a chuckle. My word! I don't wonder Whittington got the wind up when Tuppence plumped out that name. I should have myself. But look here, sir, we're taking up an awful lot of your time. Have you any tips to give us before we clear out? I think not. My experts, working in stereotyped ways, have failed. You will bring imagination and an open mind to the task. Don't be discouraged if that, too, does not succeed. For one thing, there is a likelihood of the pace being forced. Tuppence frowned, uncomprehendingly. When you had that interview with Whittington, they had time before them. I have information that the big coup was planned for early in the new year. But the government is contemplating legislative action which will deal effectually with the strike menace. They'll get wind of it soon, if they haven't already, and it's possible that they may bring things to a head. I hope it will myself. The less time they have to mature their plans, the better. I'm just warning you that you haven't much time before you, and that you needn't be cast down if you fail. It's not an easy proposition anyway, that's all. Tuppence rose. I think we ought to be businesslike. What exactly can we count upon you for, Mr. Carter? Mr. Carter's lips twitched slightly, but he replied succinctly, "'Funds within reason, detailed information on any point, "'and no official recognition. "'I mean that if you get yourselves into trouble with the police, "'I can't officially help you out of it. "'You're on your own.' "'Tuppence nodded sagely. "'I quite understand that. "'I'll write out a list of the things I want to know "'when I've had time to think. "'Now, about money.' "'Yes, Miss Tuppence. Do you want to say how much?' "'Not exactly. We've got plenty to go with for the present. "'But when we want more, it will be waiting for you. "'Yes, but I'm sure I don't want to be rude about the government "'if you've got anything to do with it. "'But, you know, one really has the devil of the time getting anything out of it. "'And if we have to fill up a blue form and send it in, "'and then after three months they send us a green one, and so on,' "'Well, that won't be much use, will it?' "'Mr. Carter laughed outright. "'Don't worry, Miss Tuppence. "'You will send a personal demand to me here, "'and the money, in notes, shall be sent by return of post. "'As to salary, shall we say at the rate of three hundred a year, "'and an equal sum for Mr. Beresford, of course?' "'Tuppence beamed upon him. "'How lovely! "'You are kind. I do love money.' 
I'll keep beautiful accounts of our expenses all debit and credit, and the balance on the right side, and red line drawn sideways, with the totals the same at the bottom. I really know how to do it when I think. I'm sure you do. Well, goodbye, and good luck to you both. He shook hands with them. And in another minute, they were descending the steps of 27 Car Shelton Terrace with their heads in a whirl. Tommy, tell me at once, who is Mr. Carter? Tommy murmured a name in her ear. Oh, said Tuppence impressed. And I can tell you, old Bean, he's it. Oh, said Tuppence again. Then she added reflectively, I like him, don't you? He looks so awfully tired and bored, and yet you feel that underneath he's just like steel, all keen and flashing. Oh, she gave a skip. Pinch me, Tommy, do pinch me. I can't believe it's real. Mr. Beresford obliged. Ow, that's enough. Yes, we're not dreaming. We've got a job. And what a job. The joint venture has really begun. It's more respectable than I thought it would be, said Tuppence thoughtfully. Luckily, I haven't got your craving for crime. What time is it? Let's have lunch. Oh, the same thought sprang to the minds of each. Tommy voiced it first. Julius P. Hersheimer. We never told Mr. Carter about hearing from him. Well, there wasn't much to tell, not till we've seen him. Come on, we better take a taxi. Now who's being extravagant? All expenses paid, remember? Hop in. At any rate, we shall make a better effect arriving this way, said Tuppence, leaning back luxuriously. I'm sure blackmailers never arrive in buses. We've ceased being blackmailers, Tommy pointed out. I'm not sure I have, said Tuppence darkly. On inquiring for Mr. Hersheimer, they were at once taken up to his suite. An impatient voice cried, Come in, in answer to the page boy's knock, and the lad stood aside to let them pass in. Mr. Julius P. Hersheimer was a great deal younger than either Tommy or Tuppence had pictured him. The girl put him down as thirty-five. He was of middle height and squarely built to match his jaw. His face was pugnacious but pleasant. No one could have mistaken him for anything but an American, though he spoke with very little accent. "'Get my note? Sit down and tell me right away all you know about my cousin.' "'Your cousin?' "'Sure thing, Jane Finn. "'Is she your cousin?' "'My father and her mother were brother and sister,' "'explained Mr. Hersheimer meticulously. "'Oh,' cried Tuppence, "'then you know where she is.' "'No,' Mr. Hersheimer brought down his fist "'with a bang on the table. "'I'm darned if I do. "'Don't you?' "'We advertise to receive information, "'not to give it,' said Tuppence severely. I guess I know that, I can read, but I thought maybe it was her back history you were after, and that you'd know where she was now. Well, we wouldn't mind hearing her back history, said Tuppence guardedly. But Mr. Hersheimer seemed to grow suddenly suspicious. See here, he declared, this isn't Sicily. No demanding ransom or threatening to crop her ears if I refuse. These are the British Isles, so quit the funny business, or I'll just sing out for that beautiful big British policeman I see out there in Piccadilly. 
Tommy hastened to explain. "'We haven't kidnapped your cousin. "'On the contrary, we're trying to find her. "'We're employed to do so.' "'Mr. Hersheimer leant back in his chair. "'Put me wise,' he said succinctly. "'Tommy fell in with this demand "'insofar as he gave him a guarded version "'of the disappearance of Jane Finn.' and of the possibility of her having been mixed up unawares in some political show. He alluded to Tuppence and himself as private inquiry agents commissioned to find her, and added that they would therefore be glad of any details Mr. Hersheimer could give them. That gentleman nodded approval. "'I guess that's all right. I was just a mite hasty. But London gets my goat. I only know little old New York.' "'Just trot out your questions, and I'll answer.' "'For the moment, this paralyzed the young adventurers. "'But Tuppence, recovering herself, "'plunged boldly into the breach "'with a reminiscence cold from detective fiction. "'When did you last see the dis... "'Your cousin, I mean?' "'Never seen her,' responded Mr. Hersheimer. "'What?' demanded Tommy, astonished. "'Hersheimer turned to him. "'No, sir. As I said before, my father and her mother were brother and sister, just as you might be.' Tommy did not correct this view of their relationship. "'But they didn't always get on together, and when my aunt made up her mind to marry Amos Finn, who is a poor schoolteacher out west, my father was just mad. Said if he made his pile, as he seemed in a fair way to do, she'd never see a cent of it.' Well, the upshot was that Aunt Jane went out west, and we never heard from her again. The old man did pile it up. He went into oil, and he went into steel, and he played a bit with railroads, and I can tell you he made Wall Street sit up. He paused. Then he died, last fall, and I got the dollars. Well, would you believe it? My conscience got busy. "'kept knocking me up and saying, "'What about your Aunt Jane, way out west?' "'It worried me some. "'You see, I figured it out that Amos Finn would never make good. "'He wasn't the sort. "'End of it was. "'I hired a man to hunt her down. "'Result, she was dead, and Amos Finn was dead, "'but they'd left a daughter, Jane, "'who'd been torpedoed in the Lusitania on her way to Paris. "'She was saved all right,' "'but they didn't seem able to hear of her over this side. "'I guess they weren't hustling any, "'so I thought I'd come along over and speed things up. "'I phoned Scotland Yard and the Admiralty first thing. "'The Admiralty rather choked me off, "'but Scotland Yard were very civil, "'said they would make inquiries, "'even sent a man round this morning to get her photograph. "'I'm off to Paris tomorrow "'just to see what the prefecture is doing. "'I guess if I go to and fro hustling them, "'they ought to get busy.' The energy of Mr. Hersheimer was tremendous. They bowed before it. "'But say now,' he ended, "'you're not after her for anything, "'contempt of court or something British. "'A proud-spirited young American girl "'might find your rules and regulations in wartime "'rather irksome and get up against it. "'If that's the case, "'and there's such a thing as graft in this country, "'I'll buy her off.' "'Tuppence reassured him. "'That's good. Then we can work together. "'What about some lunch? "'Shall we have it up here or go down to the restaurant?' "'Tuppence expressed a preference for the latter, "'and Julius bowed to her decision. 
Oysters had just given place to Sol Colbert when a card was brought to Hersheimer. Inspector Jap, CID Scotland Yard again. Another man this time. What does he expect I can tell him that I didn't tell the first chap? I hope they haven't lost that photograph. That Western photographer's place was burned down and all his negatives destroyed. This is the only copy in existence. I got it from the principal of the college there. An unformulated dread swept over Tuppence. You... you don't know the name of the man who came this morning. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Half a second. It was on his card. Oh, I know. Inspector Brown. Quiet, unassuming sort of chap. Chapter 6. A Plan of Campaign. A veil might with profit be drawn over the events of the next half hour. Suffice it to say that no such person as Inspector Brown was known to Scotland Yard. The photograph of Jane Finn, which would have been of the utmost value to the police in tracing her, was lost beyond recovery. Once again, Mr. Brown had triumphed. The immediate result of this setback was to effect a rapprochement before Julius Hersheimer and the young adventurers. All barriers went down with a crash, and Tommy and Tuppence felt they had known the young American all their lives. They abandoned the discreet reticence of private inquiry agents and revealed to him the whole history of the joint venture, whereat the young man declared himself tickled to death. He turned to Tuppence at the close of the narration. "'I've always had a kind of idea that English girls were just a mite moss-grown, "'old-fashioned and sweet, you know, "'but scared to move round without a footman or a maiden aunt. "'I guess I'm a bit behind the times.' The upshot of these confidential relations was that Tommy and Tuppence took up their abode forthwith at the Ritz, in order, as Tuppence put it, to keep in touch with Jane Finn's only living relation. And put like that, she added to Tommy, nobody could boggle at the expense. Nobody did, which was the great thing. And now, said the young lady on the morning after their installation, to work. Mr. Beresford put down the Daily Mail, which he was reading, and applauded with somewhat unnecessary vigor. He was politely requested by his colleague not to be an ass. "'Dash it all, Tommy. We've got to do something for our money.' Tommy sighed. "'Yes, I fear even the dear old government will not support us at the Ritz in idleness forever. "'Therefore, as I said before, we must do something.' Well, said Tommy, picking up the Daily Mail again, do it. I shan't stop you. You see, continued Tuppence, I've been thinking. She was interrupted by a fresh bout of applause. It's all very well for you to sit there being funny, Tommy. It would do you no harm to do a little brain work, too. My union, Tuppence, my union. It does not permit me to work before 11 a.m. Tommy, do you want something thrown at you? It is absolutely essential that we should, without delay, map out a plan of campaign. Here, here. Well, let's do it. Tommy laid his paper finally aside. There's something of the simplicity of the truly great mind about you, Tuppence. Fire ahead. I'm listening. To begin with, said Tuppence, what have we got to go upon? Absolutely nothing, said Tommy cheerily. Wrong. 
Tuppence wagged an energetic finger. We have two distinct clues. What are they? First clue. We know one of the gang. Whittington? Yes, I'd recognize him anywhere. Hmm, said Tommy doubtfully. I don't call that much of a clue. You don't know where to look for him, and it's about a thousand to one against your running against him by accident. I'm not so sure about that, replied Tuppence thoughtfully. I've often noticed that once coincidences start happening, they go on happening in the most extraordinary way. I dare say it's some natural law that we haven't found out. Still, as you say, we can't rely on that. But there are places in London where simply everyone is bound to turn up sooner or later. Piccadilly Circus, for instance. One of my ideas was to take up my stand there every day with a tray of flags. What about meals? inquired the practical Tommy. How like a man. What does mere food matter? That's all very well. You've just had a thundering good breakfast. No one's got a better appetite than you have, Tuppence. And by tea time, you'd be eating the flags, pins and all. But honestly, I don't think much of the idea. Whittington may not be in London at all. That's true. Anyway, I think clue number two is more promising. Let's hear it. It's nothing much. Only a Christian name. Rita. Whittington mentioned it that day. Are you proposing a third advertisement? Wanted, female crook, answering to the name of Rita. I am not. I propose to reason in a logical manner. That man Danvers was shadowed on the way over, wasn't he? And it's more likely to have been a woman than a man. I don't see that at all. I am absolutely certain that it would be a woman, and a good-looking one, replied Tuppence calmly. On these technical points, I bow to your decision, murmured Mr. Beresford. Now, obviously, this woman, whoever she was, was saved. How do you make that out? If she wasn't, how would they have known Jane Finn had got the papers? Correct. Proceed. Oh, Sherlock. Now, there's just a chance, I admit, but it's only a chance, that this woman may have been Rita. And if so... If so, we've got to hunt through the survivors of the Lusitania till we find her. Then the first thing is to get a list of the survivors. I've got it. I wrote a long list of things I wanted to know and sent it to Mr. Carter. I got his reply this morning, and among other things, it encloses the official statement of those saved from the Lusitania. How's that for clever little tuppence? Full marks for industry, zero for modesty. But the great point is... Is there a Rita on the list? That's just what I don't know, confessed Tuppence. Don't know? Yes, look here. Together, they bent over the list. You see, very few Christian names are given. They're nearly all Mrs. or Miss. Tommy nodded. That complicates matters, he murmured thoughtfully. Tuppence gave her characteristic terrier shake. Well, we've just got to get down to it, that's all. We'll start with the London area. Just note down the addresses of any of the females who live in London or roundabout while I put on my hat. Five minutes later, the young couple emerged into Piccadilly, and a few seconds later a taxi was bearing them to the Laurels, Glendower Road Number 7, the residence of Mrs. Edgar Keith, 
whose name figured first in a list of seven reposing in Tommy's pocketbook. The Laurels was a dilapidated house, standing back from the road with a few grimy bushes to support the fiction of a front garden. Tommy paid off the taxi and accompanied Tuppence to the front doorbell. As she was about to ring it, he arrested her hand. "'What are you going to say?' "'What am I going to say? "'Why, I shall say, "'Oh, dear, I don't know. "'It's very awkward.' "'I thought as much,' said Tommy, with satisfaction. "'How like a woman. "'No foresight. "'Now, just stand aside "'and see how easily the mere male "'deals with the situation.' "'He pressed the bell. "'Tuppence withdrew to a suitable spot. "'A slatternly-looking servant "'with an extremely dirty face,' and a pair of eyes that did not match answered the door. Tommy had produced a notebook and pencil. "'Good morning,' he said briskly and cheerfully, "'from the Hampstead Borough Council, the new voting register. "'Mrs. Edgar Keith lives here, does she not?' "'Yes,' said the servant. "'Christian name?' asked Tommy, his pencil poised. "'Mrs. Eleanor Jane.' "'Eleanor,' spelt Tommy,' "'Any sons or daughters over twenty-one? "'No. "'Thank you.' "'Tommy closed the notebook with a brisk snap. "'Good morning.' "'The servant volunteered her first remark. "'I thought perhaps as you'd come about the gas,' "'she observed cryptically, and shut the door. "'Tommy rejoined his accomplice. "'You see, Tuppence,' he observed, "'child's play to the masculine mind.' "'I don't mind admitting that for once you've scored handsomely. "'I should never have thought of that. "'Good wheeze, wasn't it? "'And we can repeat it ad lib.' "'Lunchtime found the young couple attacking a steak and chips "'in an obscure restaurant with avidity. "'They'd collected a Gladys Mary and a Marjorie, "'been baffled by one change of address, "'and had been forced to listen to a long lecture "'on universal suffrage from a vivacious American lady.' whose Christian name had proved to be Sadie. Ah, said Tommy, imbibing a long draught of beer, I feel better. Where's the next straw? The notebook lay on the table between them. Tuppence picked it up. Mrs. Vandemeyer, she read, 20 South Audley Mansions. Miss Wheeler, 43 Clappington Road, Battersea. She's a lady's maid, as far as I remember, so probably won't be there. "'and anyway, she's not likely. "'Then the Mayfair lady is clearly indicated "'as the first port of call. "'Tommy, I'm getting discouraged. "'Buck up, old bean. "'We always knew it was an outside chance. "'And anyway, we're only starting. "'If we draw a blank in London, "'there's a fine tour of England, Ireland, and Scotland before us.' "'True,' said Tuppence, "'her flagging spirits reviving. "'And all expenses paid.' "'But, oh, Tommy, I do like things to happen quickly. "'So far, adventure has succeeded adventure, "'but this morning has been dull as dull. "'You must stifle this longing for vulgar sensation, Tuppence. "'Remember that if Mr. Brown is all he is reported to be, "'it's a wonder that he has not ere now done us to death. "'That's a good sentence, quite a literary flavor about it. "'You're really more conceited than I am, with less excuse.' "'But it certainly is queer that Mr. Brown has not yet wreaked vengeance upon us. "'You see, I can do it, too. We pass our way unscathed. 
"'Perhaps he doesn't think us worth bothering about,' suggested the young man simply. Tuppence received the remark with great disfavor. "'How horrid you are, Tommy, just as though we didn't count.' "'Sorry, Tuppence. What I meant was that we work like moles in the dark, and he has no suspicion of our nefarious schemes.' "'Ha-ha!' echoed Tuppence approvingly, as she rose." South Audley Mansions was an imposing-looking block of flats just off Park Lane. Number 20 was on the second floor. Tommy had by this time the glibness born of practice. He rattled off the formula to the elderly woman looking more like a housekeeper than a servant who opened the door to him. Christian name? Margaret. Tommy spelt it, but the other interrupted him. No, G-U-E. "'Oh, Marguerite, French way, I see.' "'He paused, then plunged boldly. "'We had her down as Rita Vandemeyer, "'but I suppose that's incorrect.' "'She's mostly called that, sir, but Marguerite's her name. "'Thank you, that's all. Good morning.' "'Hardly able to contain his excitement, "'Tommy hurried down the stairs. "'Tuppence was waiting at the angle of the turn. "'You heard?' "'Yes. Oh, Tommy.' "'Tommy squeezed her arm sympathetically. "'I know, old thing. I feel the same. "'It's it's so lovely to think of things, "'and then for them really to happen,' "'cried Tuppence enthusiastically. "'Her hand was still in Tommy's. "'They had reached the entrance hall. "'There were footsteps on the stairs above them, "'and voices. "'Suddenly, to Tommy's complete surprise, "'Tuppence dragged him into the little space "'by the side of the lift, "'where the shadow was deepest.' What the... Hush. Two men came down the stairs and passed out through the entrance. Tuppence's hand closed tighter on Tommy's arm. Quick, follow them. I daren't. He might recognize me. I don't know who the other man is, but the bigger of the two was Whittington. The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie Published by William Morrow Copyright 1922 Agatha Christie Limited Reading courtesy of HarperCollins Publishers Agatha Christie and Tommy and Tuppence are registered trademarks of Agatha Christie Limited, all rights reserved. For more information about Agatha Christie, visit agathachristie.com. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.